Secrets from a Coach. Thrive and maximise your potential in the evolving workplace. Your weekly podcast with Debbie Green of Wishfish and Laura Thompson of Phenomenal Training. Debs. Law, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. Happy 50th golden anniversary to us for our podcast. I know. Where has that time gone? Guess what made me laugh this week? Go on, tell me. So I had HSBC send through these whole, we're looking at the terms and conditions for your business bank account. And when I read through the uh, small print, it said in the small print, reasons why we might terminate an account. And about the third bullet point down, it said um, inappropriate language being used in transaction titles. And it made me giggle thinking, <laughs> what the heck have people been labelling their backs transactions that then means that HSBC have got to put this in in T's and C's? And it made me giggle. Did you know that IKEA's chatbot which was the world's first operationally used chatbot. It was up and running on the IKEA website, I think, for about 10 years, and they took it down a couple of years ago. And um, I thought it was just hilarious, the stats. 50% of the customer inquiries from the UK put into the IKEA chatbot were rude, lewd or inappropriate. (laughs) No way! And it really kind of got me thinking about how differently people act online. There's no way you'd go into a bank and write that, you know, on a transaction or even go into a shop and ask someone, you know, something inappropriate. And how we act online, I think it's just been fascinating, hasn't it, with the working from home triggered by the pandemic and what that might mean kind of moving forward. So what's your take on the trends around online, in office, What's your kind of take on where we're at right now and what's ahead? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's so funny also about the um, being inappropriate in it. I think also there's an element of people who can sort of get away with stuff if so they think, I think, being online and as opposed to being in the office because there are some things that you just would not do in the office. Um, and it's that bit that says, you know, how am I going to behave in the right way? Because up until now, I've been able to maybe sit here, you know, top half is looking really cool, bottom half, maybe not so much. Um, you know, so suddenly I've got to think about my whole body and the way I speak and my body language and my tone um, and how I'm coming across. Because when you're face to face with somebody, you're going to pick up those signs so much quicker then you can when you're just looking at a screen of somebody. And if they then turn their camera off as well, which lots of people are doing. Um, and actually on that, we found that as soon as we put people into some breakout rooms, they just they just disappeared off of the workshop. So that's really interesting because, you know, some of these behaviours or habits that we thought, you know, people were embracing and liking the online um, are suddenly going against the grain completely and, and using that as an excuse not to be present. Whereas if you were face-to-face in an office and you were in that meeting or on a workshop, you couldn't necessarily just get up and walk out, you know, when we went into a breakout room. So, yeah, that's really going to be interesting to see when we sort of go back and start, you know, working again, be it hybrid, be it still mixture of remote, being in the office or whatever that might look like. How are we going to behave um, and get back into the swing of behaving appropriately rather than inappropriately? 
Yeah, without the excuse of, oh, well, everything's up in the air, the change has just happened. Well, it's it's nearing the two-year mark, you know. We're, we're in touching distance of it being two years, really, the, um, in terms of when it all kind of first kicked off. Um, so, listen, the purpose of our August series have been to review and revisit kind of past topics. Now, hybrid was a word that probably about a year ago I still would associate with cars, so a hybrid technology around cars. Now, this H word is everywhere. A little bit like the F word, furlough. It was kind of one of those words we never really were, and now it's kind of all around us. Um, and one of the great things about us being able to chat things through is always anonymous, never sharing any particular client or industry kind of um, stories, etc. But there is a lot going on, and it seems to me like we are on the brink of some pretty massive changes that are either going to work or backfire, <laughs> depending on what your kind of uh, side of the fence is in terms of does hybrid work work? Are people as effective when face-to-face as opposed to online? And what does that mean in terms of somehow being inclusive and yet fair across lots of different people who have all have different kind of backgrounds and needs? And I think that kind of working well hybrid... Many of us have seen, you know, that it takes, our brains can take a bashing when you're on relentless um, video calls. Your backs and your neck and your shoulders, all that posture stuff, you know, because we're potentially not sitting in ergonomically designed chairs that were sort of designed to sit in for hours and hours. So we've kind of seen where there's the physical kind of aspects of working online. And then suddenly, boom, like someone I was speaking to last week, their organisation has been taken over by um, uh, an owner from another country and that's it, boom, everyone recalled back into the office, back into getting that 6am commuting train five days a week. Wow, that's just (laughs) mad. Absolutely. After you've changed your house to accommodate working from home and then your company gets taken over and that's it, all change once again very little control you then have over that. So what do we think between us then, having kind of been in the privileged position of getting to eavesdrop and listen, and especially with HR teams and people teams, what do you think are some of the key opportunities and challenges ahead with reference to location and where people physically work? Yeah, I think this is a, a topic that we will probably keep evolving and talking about for a little while, actually, Law. But, you know, when, when I was, um, I was doing some reading and when, you know, good old Boris said that there should be a gradual return over the summer, um, you know, into the workspace. And I'm thinking, well, that's great, but what does that even look like? You know, and then you hear the chancellor saying something like, you know, People should be get, coming back to work, taper off their homeworking, and actually for the sake of their prospects, the economy, as well as their well-being. And I'm thinking, wow, so what does that mean in reality? That if you're not in the workplace, then you're going to be overlooked or you're not going to be you know, able to sort of be seen or whatever it is. So there's a little bit of control and command going on there. And, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, OK, nothing will replace face-to-face interaction because that's how we work. That's what we like to do. But this bit around, you know, the flexible working has had to be accelerated um, through lockdown. It was already on the agenda and people have been talking about flexible working for a very long time. You know, and certainly talking to HR professionals this flexible working is something that you put a request in for. And it was only really if you had children, um, you know, and certainly in my experience when I was in HR, 
way many years ago now, it was always, you know, working mums really that would put a flexible working request in and it may or may not get approved. Whereas lockdown has shown that flexible working works. So it's been accelerated as a result of the pandemic. Um, You know, when you look at some stats that I was reading, you know, 78% of people would like to have um, some flexibility in their role to be able to have a mixture of working from home, coming in the office, um, you know, being available that way with some hour shifts and changes so that they could accommodate you know, their ways of working that they've got used to doing and prove that it does work. So I think this is going to be such an interesting time for businesses because, yes, they want people back in doing work because they're, you know, on one hand, they're saying people are more productive, um, you know, by being from home, having their own flexibility. Yet Others are saying people are less productive. So it's which one do you listen to? You know, and if, you know, if you're getting that control and command to say everybody back at work, you could potentially be upsetting quite a few people that have made it work. And as a team member, team manager, a leader, if you're not listening to your people um, and seeing what they want, and I I believe that we should be looking at people as individuals and just listening to their circumstances and, and wherever possible, accommodating what we can do that enables them to feel like they're in control of what they've been doing. They can take their children to school still, yet they can still work and get all the jobs done. They just happen, don't happen to be physically present all of the time in the office. So I think this is going to be, um, yeah, really interesting time to think about how we really embrace flexible working now. And think about how that's going to impact on people, people's personal lives. And I think they, you know, people's well-being more than anything is going to have a it's going to have a massive impact, uh, so that people don't feel resentful for having to suddenly go back to work. I know that's their job, and that's what you are employed to do. But if we're going to stay stuck in the, you know, stuck in time before the pandemic and think that it's all going to go back to normal, I think we're being a little bit naive there. Yeah, I agree. I've asked probably 30, 40 people who are in a position of influence over the last month um, or so around about the question, is there a normal that we will go back to or is this changing forevermore? And pretty much everyone has said it will never go back to how it was because even the people that are, for example, being yanked back in to work physically five days back in that office, your clients and customers and stakeholders aren't. So even though you may be based wearing your lanyard again, you're still dialing to people that are sitting there in their slippers interacting. So in terms of, um, you know, can you print off this 50-page document and send it? People aren't going to do that if they're using their home printer. So I think even if my personal location has changed, until everyone's is kind of back in full-time into an office, which is not going to happen, and Microsoft already predicted that 66% of organisations are going to have some form of hybrid working, so we're either fully distributed and deskless, we're any place, anywhere. Some of our clients have turned into that because they've since gone on a global recruitment drive. So they're never going to be physically or there in an office again, even though they might still be quite a relatively small business. Um, and so even those people who have their lives have changed, you're going to be dialing in again, as I said, to people who still you know, are going to be there on a Teams thing. Do you know what I think is really fascinating about um, internal company politics. It was about 2016, I think the penny really dropped in organisations that around the board table, a strategic partnership was going to now be needed between HR and IT. Whereas IT 
previous to that stage was, well, they just make sure that the computers work. Suddenly, I think there was this realisation of, oh my God, there's so much technological change. We need to work in partnership with the HR people teams to make sure that people are equipped for that change. And what does that mean in terms of new job roles, new job titles, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think the most strategically important board relationship happening now is between the facilities team and HR. Where are people going to go? How many people are we going to be recruiting? Where are they going to be based? Do we need a desk for everyone or do we just need 40% provision? And then you have to kind of book it on a, you know, um, pay-as-you-go process or kind of in advance. And where before facilities, again, might have been over there in the kind of property team reporting into finance, let's say. Now, that allegiance between property and people, I think, has never been such a hot partnership right now because it's it's never been such a contentious topic. And as you said, we're rather going to alienate people because everyone's going to be resentful about the change that's been foisted upon them or we accommodate people. And what that requires is flexibility, you know, Absolutely. and working in yeah. a really open-minded way to be able to ensure that those thousands or hundreds or tens of people feel motivated to work. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when you look at the facilities teams, you know, that's the that's the job that they do, right? They're qualified. They're the experts in office space and desks and acquisition and, and all of that, you know, all the well-being bit that goes with it. And up until now, as you said, it's been a bit second rate potentially. But, you know, I know a couple of facilities people that have been working throughout the pandemic still, making sure they, they are you know, liaising at the top table about how they're going to set up their workspace. Um, and what I've loved and listened to as they've been talking is they have over-communicated. They have been very mindful in making sure that, yes, the technology has to be there, absolutely, otherwise it won't work and performance won't happen. But actually what they've gone is gone back to basic. So, you know, they have been, if you like, the hub of coordination and they've been communicating that out really, really well so that, the people that it's impacting know exactly what's going on and they're hearing potentially more from the facilities team than they may be from, you know, their head of department or director um, because they're focusing in on the people. And I think that's the that's the bit for me that any great leader needs to think about it's his, his or her people and think about, well, what do they want? Am I really aware of that person's circumstance, you know, circumstances? You know, am I really clear on what's changed for them over this this pandemic? You know, do I know what they're going to be needing? Um, or am I potentially, you know, going to alienate them because actually I'm just doing this broad brush approach because um, it's easy. Um, and it's a case of, you know, you either do it or you don't or you're out. And it's like, mm, that's not going to work anymore. People have, you know, people have woken up to the fact that, you know, this works. Flexible working, hybrid working really does work. And I think that's the bit that, you know, if if, if people don't listen, um, you may or may not be able to do anything, you know, for individuals within your team. But if as long as you're listening and they people feel like they've been heard, then you can reach a compromise around it. And I think that's what great leaders will be able to to sort of use their emotional intelligence, if you like, to be able to, you know, influence, impact, manoeuvre, do whatever they need to do. Because if they know that they've got everybody working well, performance will go up anyway, right? So, so why would you not? Is that bit? Why would you not have a conversation with your team and see what do what do you want? You know, might not be able to do it, 
but let me, you know, let me have a conversation with you. Because this is so unknown territory at the mo at the moment, Law, isn't it? Really, mm, completely unknown, and that's why I, I just think being able to discuss it and and address elephants in the room, for example, I'm just going to put it out there: Does the age of your workforce influence the levels of happiness or agreeableness to going in or uh, staying, you know, working remotely, yes. etc.? So, to what extent that's a great does that question. made? Yeah, making it make an impact. I think it does. Um, I was listening to somebody talking to a younger person who um, knew it first, did first job, um, really looking forward to coming in and working for an organisation, then went into lockdown. Um, and, you know, they're, they're really keen to get back into the workspace because if you like, they're going to learn from those that have been around for a little bit longer um, who, as you always call it, who are in their twilight zone of their career, as you call it. And I know you'll explain that much better than I will in a moment. But it's those younger people that are coming in and, and who would normally have learned off of the twilight generation, those that have been there maybe 10, 15, 20 years. And suddenly that, um, that, that ability to learn from an elder has gone because we're all on Zoom. So somebody, you know, I was talking to the other day, was doing a pitch um, and they were put in front of, on a Zoom call, quite important people to do a pitch. And they just froze because they said, I didn't have any any role model. I didn't know what I should or couldn't would have said because I haven't learned it from anybody. Yet before we went into lockdown, they could just wander over to the desk and go, oi, you know, Pete, you know, Patricia, can you tell me how I might approach this client? How do I pitch it? What do I need to watch out for? And that person would have shared their wisdom with them. So they wouldn't have gone in cold to that pitch and felt awful because they didn't get it right. So it's really interesting that the younger, I'll call it younger, I know you're describe it much better than me, as I said, but, you know, who are their role models going to be if... Those of us that are in maybe in our twilight zone are just quite happy to just be maybe towards the end of our careers, maybe just thinking, I don't need to be promoted. I've been promoted. I'm where I'm at. I'm very happy. I can take my foot off the gas a little bit. And if I turn up to work, great. If I don't, I don't. So potentially we're doing them, our younger generation, a disservice by not being present and sharing our wisdom, our organisational wisdom with them so they can carry the mantle of success for the, the organisation and the company moving forward. Yeah. Ooh, carry the mantle. That's a nice expression, Debs. Ooh, I like that. Um, yes, so that idea of viewing a career as kind of like stages of a day, I just find it a really easy way to describe it and it kind of means you don't have to get sort of trapped up with all this kind of um, sensitive conversation <laughs> oh, around young, age, etc. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, like so, I was then. <laughs> yeah, it just means you can just sort of tell it as it is and uh, and I guess uh, I, I always find there's something quite invigorating about a, more, a daily mortality check, basically. So Oliver <laughs> Berkman has just released a book okay. which um, I'm definitely going to get it's called 4,000 months and 4,000 months is the average typical human lifespan 4,000 months wow that's, that's it that's what you get even if you live to 112 like one of the guys he interviewed that's only 5,200 months it's um yeah it's not much <laughs> and nothing, many of it? those months are going to be working 
months. And uh, it's just a reminder, really, to, I guess, you know, every day is not necessarily a given and it just allows you to be forever grateful and have that self-worth to be able to ask, actually, am I happy with this? Because time is short, life is precious. Am I happy and making all the best things that I can do to maximise the real me and all that kind of stuff? But from a kind of a career point of view, I guess uh, I would describe myself as a high noon. (laughs) I've got 20 (laughs) years behind me, I've got 20 years ahead of me, and I now see it uh, as... uh, um, what what gives me energy is thinking, well, what can I do to sort of put back, basically? Because I got, as you said, so much wisdom from all those people who are in the afternoon or the twilight or the dusk of their career. They're the people that tell you how the WD-40 of an organisation works. You know, they're the hubs, the conduits, the people that say, listen, you know, this is how you get that purchase order signed off. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, go up to the fifth floor and get someone to sign it off, you know, on Friday afternoon. And that's where you learn all of that organisational, um, all that kind of, uh, the things that keep things ticking over. Yeah, you the know, ways those of working. Key- yeah, Absolutely. It's, 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 unwritten, those, those... it's the unwritten rules of working around here, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You don't learn that on the induction week, but you certainly no. learn that when you then meet all these people. Um, so, yeah, so then that dusk, that that dawn is at the, the kind of the dawn of your career, whether you're a graduate, whether you're kind of someone that's left straight from school, whatever that kind of dawn bit is. I've been thinking about this loads, though, since our conversation we had around age and are we doing a disservice to young people? Because some of the logic doesn't quite add up as in, well, basically, Everyone who's middle-aged and above wants to work from home um, because they, uh, they've done their commuting days. Thank you very much, uh, you know. And everyone who's younger is a bit is potentially going to get a bit resentful because they want to be back in a lively office going out, etc. But I wonder if that's a little bit overly simplistic. A couple of things going through my mind. Have a look at YouTube influencers and influencers being, you know, a job that people want to do. Well, by definition, that is done remotely. And the vast majority of the really successful online influencers are in that morning of their career. So they tend to be younger. So I think it's a little bit simplistic to say, well, if you're young, you want to go back in. If you're old, you want to kind of stay working remotely. Um, the lovely thing about doing this podcast, Deb, isn't it, is we can tell it how it is, which is brilliant. Exactly. You would, we would never say this with kind of, you know, in a live kind of environment. But I think these are such important topics. We are doing a disservice to, to future generations if we don't lean right in as the current set of adults and actually have a conversation about it. Plus, we need the earning tax, otherwise there is no state yes. pension. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when, when we get to the, uh, the, uh, the 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 high noon, you know, the, um, the 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 evening of our careers. But anyway, the the other thing I think as well that was just thought through my mind from reading an article was in the New Scientist. I actually think one of the biggest influences on whether you want to be in an office or based remotely, let's say from home, is if you are in if your space you're in, you're empowered to make it your own. And the majority of people who are either homeowners or renting their own space and not flat sharing or staying in a parent's spare room tend to be people who have had their first half of their career and they're now in their second half. Because actually working from home when you can adjust your space and it's your own space is very different from someone who is flat sharing and having to deal with all that other noise that's around. So, um, and and what, what kind of triggered that thought was there's some research that's just been done um, by a couple of universities looking at to what extent our workplace 
impacts our productivity and our morale, basically. And they tested um, people in four different environments. One was an environment in which you were empowered to adjust it as you wanted, this office space. The other, you were disempowered disempowered you're basically stuck with how the designers had designed it one of them was open plan and the other then was completely silent and devoid of any kind of color or noise or any kind of interaction and the one in which everyone performed best was the empowered one when I feel like I've decided where stuff goes and what it looks like I actually feel invigorated and motivated by my workplace the least inspiring one was um very close to the disempowered one and the open plan office. Oh my God, I'm... So the open plan office has been... (laughs) Awful. I I have the FOMO, so as soon as I think, what's going on there? That's more interesting than the spreadsheet I'm working on. (laughs) (laughs) And then when they move it to hot desking in an open plan office, suddenly your space is gone and where do you put your mug and your pen pot and you're not going to carry it around with you in a box, are you? So, yeah. The introverts are going to struggle with the noise. The extroverts are going to struggle with wanting to get distracted. Yeah, I agree with you. Open plan offices didn't really work anyway. And in fact, there's some other evidence that was kind of in this article as well, that the level of collaboration reduces in open plan office because everyone is so putting their earphones on trying to block it out. When actually there are lots of little small offices you can walk around, the level of collaboration increases. Yes. (laughs) Even though that feels like that wouldn't be the case. But that's going going back to my dawn of my career, if you like, which is a very long time ago, where we did have our own offices. and But you did go and wander and speak to different people. Um, so for me, it's like, okay, so that did work. I know in cost and space and trying to get more people in and there's a rationale for moving into an open plan. But it's really interesting, isn't it, how some of those things that we we used to do are probably going to help us today to help people migrate in and get used to whatever this hybrid working, you know, will will look like for them. And I think it's that bit, you know, as you've always said, you know, are we, you know, is the alienate versus accommodate, isn't it, as well? So it's thinking about, you know, it used to be a perk to work from home, whereas now everybody's worked from home. So is that now seen as a perk? I don't, you know, I don't know. Is coming into the office a perk? Um, I don't know. I'd be intrigued to see what other people think about that because I think there's no one size fits all and there's so, so many differing viewpoints on this that I think it will continue to rumble for the moment until it reaches its own um, balance, I suppose, of you know, what is going to work for everybody, which would be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I think, uh, hold on, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And my, my kind of key little phrases that are in my mind of uh, that alienate versus accommodate, I think that's such a great take on how do we make sure that, um, you know, no troll left behind, you know, everyone is kind of brought through and kind of on board, etc. Because there is such a clear link between morale and productivity. So if your organisation, if its success is dependent upon happy people create happy results, this is a massive topic. And never before in the history of our work time has the geography of where everyone is, what impact does that have? And um, I heard someone say um, a while ago, and it really stuck with me, we've seen 10 years of change happen in one night, one week, basically, that one week back in March... Yeah, we saw 10 years of change. So there was yes. no change management plan. We just had to make do and carry on, etc. But now we do have choices. And so how are we individually going to keep 
empowered and comfortable with that, but also recognising the context of it's ever so messy at the moment and even the legal frameworks have not been put together yet. They're currently being written and at the moment it's all just kind of, you know, bespoke per industry and whatever their norms are, etc. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's really good to not, as I say, clump all the groups of working people together. It's looking at what each maybe function does and seeing what works for the function. But then I suppose that's where your HR teams are going to come into their own, right? As they look at the legal side of it, um, which says, is that being fair? Are we being consistent? You know, are we being, you know, considering everybody's needs, making reasonable adjustments? All of that is going to be coming into play, which, yeah, I'll take my hat off to anyone in HR at the moment. <laughs> I've spoken to a few people who were reconsidering <laughs> their options. I can tell you that. I can imagine. But absolutely. But my God, what an invigorating time to, to really exercise that CIPD because we are creating these new structures moving forward. You know, it's, it's back in the 70s and 80s, it was machines being built in prototypes in garages. And then, you know, suddenly, whoom, massive change in terms of, um, you know, personal computers. And right now there are conversations happening across Zoom rooms of, right, what are we going to do? How do we inform people? These are where these decisions are being made. And, and I think even if your job doesn't involve Really, you know, you, you, let's say you're you're someone who works on site and you have to be there. Even those roles have changed because if your role is to work in other people's spaces, like building or um, repairing or engineering, you're now having to do that around someone trying to dial in on a call and not get disturbed. That's new. So even if your role actually directly hasn't changed that much, just these people hanging around their houses more has completely changed, you know, kind of how how work works. So what do we think might be some food for thought then for anyone who is thinking, actually, I'm, I'm in my summer lull. I don't really want to think about work, but I do know there is some change coming. Um, in the spirit of uh, coaching, which is, you know, how do we turn messy thoughts into clear, tangible action? What would be your call to action on this week with reference to revisiting hybrid working? The gift yeah. that will keep on giving, I'm the, sure. It will but... definitely keep on giving. I think you're right, Law, there. Um, so I would find some time before you're back into work mode, whatever that might look like for you, and just capture, you know, what does a great workplace look like for you? And just think about what that would need to have within it so that you could create that balance. And I know we spoke about balance and boundaries before, but, you know, what would be your ideal? What would that look like for you? And then have a conversation. You know, don't wait until you turn up on day one. You know, have reach out and communicate. I think go back to basics. Keep talking. Um, And I think that's what I would do as an individual um, and have those conversations. And I think also on the flip side, if you are a a team manager or a leader or director, whatever you may be, um, I would then take some time and look at all the people, you know, that are within your organisation or your team and, and make a point of reaching out and checking in about what are their individual needs? How have they been? What's worked for them? What wouldn't? What do they want? Ask them. 
don't assume you know what they're going to need coming back into the workplace. As I said, it all starts with a conversation, right? And if you're not talking about it, you can't even have a have a conversation to then maybe negotiate what that could look like or agree a, the right way of working that's best for people in you know at work, the, the organisation, well-being, the economy. Um, so I think that would be my call to action law. Yeah, I love it, Debs. And my share of the secret would be, think of someone in your life who is feeling a little bit kind of stuck and maybe a little bit disempowered. Get them to listen to this, because I think just even hearing other people talk about how it's really messy and there's loads going on, just because what's happening in your organisation, your industry, profession, your home, doesn't actually mean that's the, the blanket rule, because there are no rules at the moment. It really is one size fits one. So, um, you know, it's kind of getting um, empowering yourself and being confident and assertive to ask, what if we were to change the way that we worked. What if actually that person could be a, to, could blaze the trail? Because, um, but this time on terms that work for you. So that would be my share the secret. Maybe someone who's a little bit kind of disempowered, get them to listen to this. Um, just to remind that there's a big old world out there and there are lots of different ways that we can slice and dice the geography of how we work. And we've got an opportunity here that our grandparents never had to actually be able to call some shots to be able to balance that life and that work. Yeah. How fortunate. Definitely. I'm with you all the way on that, Law. And looking forward to um, hearing what other people think about this as well um, and what their views are of it are, because that'd be fascinating to hear more. Yeah, absolutely. And the challenges, because each one of those challenges is then fantastic um, opportunity to chat it through and share some tips and ideas, etc. Um, so I really enjoyed that, Debs. I was so looking forward to recording this conversation because it's such a biggie and I just can't believe we're here still sometimes having these conversations but it is enormous so what a way to kind of wrap up our first 50 yeah happy 50th hello and how exciting for our 51st episode which we'll be recording then publishing then next week which is a roundup so tell us about that then because I think that's going to be really cool so we asked questions of our guests of to ask them questions of our other guests So we've been able to sort of collate some of the questions and put them out to the people to respond. So we're going to do a little bit of a recap and refresh and get some answers to the questions that people pose to them, which would be just fascinating to hear the responses. Oh, yeah. And what a diverse, wonderful selection of guests we had as well in our um, first year. So it pretty much coincides coming up to our um, first year anniversary and roll on more fascinating people that we'll get to spend time with in our next 50 uh, uh, podcasts as well. So, Devs, have a fantastic week. You too, Laura. In your hybrid world. <laughs> <laughs> She's half slipper and she's half lanyard. (laughs) Not all the way either way yet. (laughs) She's got a mouse in one hand and her car keys in the other. (laughs) Which way do I go? That's the million dollar question. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Law. Love you lots. (laughs) Love you lots. Speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email on secretsfromacoach at aol.com or follow us on Instagram at secretsfromacoach.